Well, good morning. And we are so excited about this brand new message series. It's good to be with you today. As Pastor Dan mentioned, normally I'm at our South Campus, so I guess I'm a northerner today. First time in my life. I've grown up in the South my whole life, so it's good to be with you. And uh, I know that Pastor would love to be kicking off this uh, message series. If you know Pastor, then you know that Pastor loves to preach. How many of you would be in agreement on that? Pastor loves to preach, and he does a phenomenal phenomenal job, and we're praying for him and believing that he's going to be back with us for part two of this series uh, next week. And we're going to be talking about from here to there. How do we get from where we're at, because all of us are at whatever place we're at, positionally speaking, but how do we get from where we're at to where we want to be? How many of you would be in agreement that we've not arrived there yet? How many of you would be in agreement that there's some growing that you need to do? that uh, you're not there, I'm not there, none of us are perfect, we all fall short of the glory of God, we know that, but God is wanting to grow us into what he wants us to be, and we're going to talk about that in this series. In just a few minutes into this talk, I'll sort of preview real quickly uh, where we're going each week, but I want to begin with a story that I pulled out uh, for this message that I read in a book some time ago. Many of you are very familiar, probably most all of you are very familiar with Billy Graham, this great evangelist from many years ago. Uh, you may not be as familiar with his wife, Ruth, a great, great woman of God. And uh, there's a story uh, about her life that perhaps you may be unfamiliar with. And I wanted to share this paragraph with you out of this book. It said, when evangelist Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, died back in 2007, she chose to have engraved on her gravestone words that had nothing to do with all of her remarkable achievements. It had to do with the fact that as long as we are alive, God is working on us. And how many of you are glad that he is working on us? God will be working on us and then we will be free. She had been driving one day along a highway through a construction site and there were miles of detours and cautionary signs and machinery and equipment she finally came to the last one, and this final sign read, end of construction, thank you for your patience. And that's what she wanted to have written on her tombstone, and it is to this day. End of construction, thank you for your patience. How many of you are glad that God has been patient with you while he's been growing you into what he wants you to be? And we don't want to stop with that. We want to continue working with God as he's working in our lives. And you know what the reality is? God will work in our lives as long as we're willing to allow him to. Can I just say it this way? That God's work in us will always be measured by the level of our obedience and cooperation. Let me say that again. God's ability to work within us because God has given us this free will. He didn't create us to be robots. He didn't create us to be machines. He's given us the capacity to be able to make decisions. And so God says, hey, if you will work with me and you'll be obedient and you'll be cooperative with what is my will for your life, then I'm going to grow you into what you want to be and what I want you to be. And I'm going to help you to get from here to there. So it's a choice and all of us get to make this choice. How many of you know that? You can either say, well, you know, this is what I'm going to do, Jeff. I'm going to do my life my way. And I certainly do not recommend that. 
But if instead we would say, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to do my life God's way, and we're going to go with God's plan for our life, then amazing things are going to happen. And it's what we're going to talk about in this series, because I believe that for all of us, for every one of us, for those of us that are in the sanctuary, those of you that are watching online, for all of us as a staff and a church family and serving and doing life together, I really believe, I do to the core of my soul, that God is going to use this series to change us and to transform us for the good. But we've got to be willing. We've got to be cooperative. We've got to be pliable to God. So I want to go ahead and mention our key theme uh, for today's message, and I will intentionally repeat it during our time together. But here it is, and I want you to be sure you get it. Are you ready? Wave at me if you I need to know. You know, I need, I'm sort of new to some of you, and you are new to, I need to know that you're ready. You ready for the key theme? I'm going to give it to you right here. Today's decisions will shape tomorrow's direction. Let me say that again. Today's decisions, the decision that you and I are going to make today and in the days to come are going to shape the, the direction of our life. See, you and I, and this is what I'm going to challenge you to do, every one of you, and I, I'll give it away early on in this talk. I'm going to challenge you to start something in your life that is going to challenge and help you to grow in the trajectory of your life, spiritually speaking. Because in this week, this very first week in this series, we're going to talk about what do we need to start? What are some of the things that we need to start in our life? Then next week, week number two, we're going to talk about the flip side of that, and we're we're going to talk about what is it that we need to stop. How many of you, you know, you're just not going to be pretentious. You're going to be transparent. How many of you know that there's some things in you that God probably wants you to stop? Just sort of wave at me, and that would be uh, true of all of us. Today, we're going to talk about what, what do we need to start? Next week, what do we need to stop? Then in week three, we're going to talk about when we need to stay. Because there's going to be times in our life when it's going to be easier to go than it is to stay. And we're going to talk about that in week three. And then we're going to wrap it up at uh, the end of this series, part four. We're going to talk about uh, when we need to actually go. See, there's times in life when it would be easier to just stay. Sort of the adverse of what I just mentioned. But you look and it's replete throughout the scriptures. Sometimes people were comfortable in their life and God would say to them, I know it would be easy for you to stay right where you're at, but I'm going to challenge you to go. So this morning, I want to talk with you for the next few moments, and I want to encourage you to have a notepad handy or your phone. I really believe that God is going to speak to you. Have your tablet handy. Uh, there may be a scripture that God just so rivets your attention. There may be a statement or a quote. There may be something specifically that we talk about in terms of what we need to start, and that's just going to resonate with your spirit, and you're going to say, that's what I sense that God is saying that I need to do. So we're going to talk about a habit or a practice that can transform our lives. And I want us to reach back into the Old Testament to get some help from a guy that a lot of you are familiar with if you grew up in and around church. This is a guy by the name of Daniel. Some of you may not be familiar with his story. You may know him by name, but not as much of his story. And in this particular part of his story, this is what you need to know about Daniel's life. Uh, Daniel uh, was well-liked by King Darius. Uh, King Darius really, really uh, liked uh, Daniel a whole lot. Uh, King Darius, actually, this is what he did in his kingdom, in his monarchy, this is what King Darius said. He said, I'm going to gather up 
and I'm going to give you a number, cause, and you hang on to it. I may have you repeat it back, just to make sure you're, you're connecting with me. And Derry said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up and establish 120 satraps. Now, how many of you are like, I'd love to know what a satrap is. In fact, they probably would too. You walk up to them, hey, are you a satrap? I, I, I may, maybe, but I'm not really sure what it is. And so a satrap, think in this term, a satrap was actually like a governor, was like a, a, a governor. And so there were how many satraps in this monarchy, this kingdom of King Darius? How many? 120 of them. And then uh, structurally speaking, uh, King Darius took three and he positioned them over the 120. You're with me on that? I want you to see this. Three over the 120 with Darius being one of the three. I mean, Daniel being one of the three. But King Darius had big plans for Daniel. And so what he want, wants to do, and it's not like really out there all that much as of yet. It's going to trickle out. And you're going to see it in just a moment. But here's what Darius wants to do with Daniel. 120 satraps. Three ruling over the 120, but then what Darius wants to do is he wants to take Daniel and he wants to put him over those two, over everybody. In fact, second in command. Now, I want to tell you, when this leaks out, it creates a lot of drama. I'm just going to tell you this, and that's, uh, I'll just show you an example. This is actually uh, Daniel chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, I believe. I want you to look at it right up here on the screen. Look at this with me. Daniel 6, 4 and 5. At this what we just mentioned, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find, look at this with me, they could find, what's this word? I want you to say it out loud with me. They could find no, no corruption in him because he was what? Trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Look at this next part. I want you to see this. It's so good. Finally, these men said, Look at this. We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So follow me now. This is all leaked out, 120 satraps, three over the 120, Daniel being one, but Darius wants to take him, elevate, and it just creates an enormous amount of jealousy and angst within the kingdom. And so what they want to do out of their jealous rage, they want to levy some things about Daniel that's going to cause him to miss out on what Darius wants to do in his life. Now, listen, I know that that is so way back there, so anxious. I mean, just to think about that, that in ancient times that people would actually, when somebody may get a job promotion or be elevated in the company, that people would be so jealous as they would try to do whatever they could and spread whatever they could to pull somebody down. Thank goodness none of that ever happens in our day, does it? And so that's what happens. And so they hatch this scheme together. And as you saw just a couple of moments ago, it's not going to be an easy task for them because um, Daniel just has this amazing amount of integrity. So they hatch the scheme and they go to the king and they say, King, we've got this really, really great idea. We just know that you're going to like it. And here's the idea. Here's what, what we're suggesting to you. You've, you know, you're going to buck stops with you. So you've got to render whether it's what you want to do or not. But this is what we think you ought to do. We think that you ought to issue a command, an edict, a rule, a regulation that in the kingdom, if over the next 30 days, anybody would pray to anyone but you, that would mean an immediate trip to the lion's den. All right? That's what they're saying. And, you know, Darius ponders it for just a moment. 
and he becomes a fan rather quickly of this idea because, you know, he's like a lot of people. He's just so steeped in his pride and narcissism. He said, I think that's a, a, a pretty good idea, so I think we ought to initiate it. Now, how many of you know this is going to spell out some real trouble for Daniel? Are you with me? This is going to be some major trouble for Daniel. 30 days, you cannot pray to anybody but King Darius. And now, would you not be in agreement with me that Daniel has an enormous dilemma on his hand, doesn't he? Now, Daniel's a great man of God. And I'd never, uh, you know, even try to measure up to what a great man of God he was. And by that, I mean, I'll just be real transparent with you. I'm not sure that I would have initiated what Daniel did. I think, I think that maybe what I would have done is taken a more milder approach. I might would have tried to strike up a little bit of a deal with God and say, all right, you know, God, you know I love you. You know I'm devoted to you. You know I pray with you publicly. Everybody knows that about me. That's just who I am. But, but God, you who knows everything, because you're omniscient, you know this edict, this law that's been initiated, that if anybody's caught praying to anybody but King Darius, guess what? Immediate trip to the lion's den, and I've heard the horror stories about that. And so, God, if we can just negotiate a little agreement here, how about if you just, you with me? Wave at me, you with me? How about you just give me a free pass over the next 30 days? And I'll resume praying right after the 30 days is expired. That's all I'm asking. You know who I am. I know who I am. Just give me a 30-day free pass. And then right after that, I'll go back to praying the way I always have publicly. Everybody knows that about me. And that's probably what I would have done. It's not what Daniel did. And you may be a better Christian than I am, but that's me. Or I may have taken this approach. All right, God, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray silently. Nobody's going to know it. I'm just going to pray silently, and, and nobody's going to know I'm praying. You're going to know I'm praying, and I'm going to know, but I'll get back to, you know, praying silently, and nobody's going to know. Now, let me mention, interject something in, into the Daniel story. Uh, I've got two sisters and a brother, and I've got uh, a sister that is very uh, close to me in terms of age. And I'll just give you the story. I was thinking about it this week while working on this talk. Uh, my mom, when I was born, my mom... She had turned 17 on October the 23rd, and then I was born on December the 3rd. Can you say young with me? And I'm sharing this story because I know, you know, being mom to a lot of kids and raising small kids can be a challenge. But so uh, mom turned 17 October 23rd. I'm born December the 3rd. You with me? Two months after that, she finds out that she's pregnant with my baby sister. So she's got to have two little kids before she even turns 18 years of old age. Now listen, I didn't think about it at the time because I was so young. But when I got older, I had this thought, somebody should have been talking to those people. <laughs> somebody should have been talking. So my sister and I, we're just, you know, 11 months apart. and We're that close. And yet we, uh, have you ever got in a really heated argument with your sibling? And how many of you have at least a thousand and one times you probably have. So her and I, I remember the day, I remember where I was standing. We were in the hallway, upper level of our house. And her and I, we are like nose to nose. And we are both so mad and so angry and stating our case. And we're elevating our voices. And she's saying things and I'm saying things. And I'm a rather new Christian. But all of a sudden, have you ever had the Holy Spirit just so powerfully convict you of something that you knew that it was wrong and you had to just stop right there? And I did. I just, mid-argument, almost mid-sentence, I just stopped and I did this. I'm, I'm not trying to sound spiritual, but it's what I did and I was trying to do what I felt would honor God. So I just, in the middle of the argument, I bowed my head like this 
And, and I didn't want to pray out loud because I didn't want to give her any upper ground in the argument. With, with, I still had some carnality a part of my, so I just bowed my head like this. I didn't realize at the time that my sister apparently was a lip reader. And so I opened my eyes and she looked at me, I'm kidding you not. She looked at me and this is what she said. That's right, you better ask for forgiveness. And the brawl resumed. I mean, I'm like, are you kidding me? You're provoking me. I'm trying to follow Jesus. Pray silently. And Daniel was saying, Lord, if you just let me pray silently, and here's what I will do. And, you know, 30 days, once that expires, then the reality is I'll get back to praying. Now, do you remember what we read concerning Daniel a few minutes ago? It said that he had no corruption, that Daniel wasn't negligent, and that he was totally trustworthy. Let me do a timeout right here. This is what you've got to establish early on about Daniel. In his story, and I'm just giving you a snapshot of it, just an overview of it, but this is what we know about Daniel. This is what we know about him. Daniel had walked faithfully with God for years. Daniel is authentic. Daniel has integrity. He is spiritually mature and growing in his faith. And what I'm going to share with you next is just so good. I don't want you to miss it. Daniel was able to remain strong and resolute during what was for him a time of tremendous pressure. And he was able to do it. He was able to do it because he had cultivated a habit. And this is where you and I are going to come into play. Daniel had cultivated a habit or a practice that actually started long before for this day when, I mean, he's in this, this situation of great tension. Does that make sense? So it wasn't like he had to just, you know, develop this great strength in the moment. There was something that was so powerful about Daniel's life that in that moment, he could resort to something that had been a practice of his life for a long, long time. And you're going to see this in verse 10. Look at it with me. This is a great, great verse. Verse 10, right up here. Even though Daniel knew that this new law or edict rule had been written, he went to pray in an upstairs room in his house, which had windows that opened toward Jerusalem. Look at this next part. Three times each day, Daniel would kneel down to pray and thank God. And this is the phrase that I really want you to see, just as he had always done. Just as he had always done. See, what Daniel had learned is something that you and I have got to learn this morning, that we can start something today that is going to change the trajectory of our spiritual life. That the decisions that you and I make, listen, even this morning can change the direction. Today's decisions will shape tomorrow's direction for our life. And we can't miss that. How do we get from here to there? It necessitates that we're going to have to start some things. This is what Daniel had always done. He was steady in this moment of pressure. He was unflappable because at some point he decided that he would start something that would forever change his life. Now, I want you to get this. God is seriously dialed in to what you and I are becoming. He really is. See, by nature, by nature, you and I often think this way, and I don't want to layer that upon you, but I think this way, and a lot of people I know think this way. Oftentimes, our, our thinking is slightly misconstrued, and I'll share with you what I mean. A lot of times, we think this, what am I doing when God, on the other hand, is thinking, what are we becoming? Does that make sense? We think, this is what I do, and God often thinks, 
this is what I want you to become. This is how I want you to get from here to there because your decisions today are going to shape tomorrow's direction in your life. In fact, I love the way that Dallas Willard, look at this. You may want to write this down or get a picture of it. This is so good. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said, the most important thing about you is not the things that you achieve. It is actually the person that you become. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. What is God helping you and I to become? I want to dig in and get really practical right here because time is just flying by and I want to be sure that we just get over on the application side of what we're talking about. What is it? Look at it from this perspective. What is it that God wants you to want? Because when you and I arrive at that place, what is it that God wants us to want then it helps us to more clearly identify what is it that we need to start. Does that make sense? Did I say that in a way that we can perceive it? What is God? And that's what we've got to identify today because I'm going to encourage you, and you'll see this in a moment. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to not go after 10 or 12 or 4, to really be narrow in your focus on what you're going to start this year. But the reality is, what is it that God wants us to want And once we arrive at that, it will help us to be able to more fully understand what is it that we need to start. Now, further clarification. We don't all need to start the same things. How many of you would be in agreement that we're all different in a lot of ways? And how many of you would say, thank Jesus for it? Thank Jesus. We are. We're different. We have different personalities. We have different experiences. We have different backgrounds. We have different temperaments. We're all different. Can, can I just add to that caveat? Can I just say that we're also at a different place spiritually? It doesn't mean that we're not all redeemed. And probably most all of you in this room and watching online, you're already a follower of Jesus. Some of you may not. Hopefully, we can address that at the end of this talk. But the reality is, uh, we may be in Jesus, and we may be living in a body in Jesus, Jesus growing us, but we're not all at, the different, uh, all at the same place spiritually. And so, it just means that what you may need to want and start may be different from what I need to want and start, and, and vice versa. So, again, I want to get really practical on this. What is it that you need to start? And maybe for you, what what you, what God may be speaking to you about, because all of us need to ask ourselves this question, be serious and sober-minded concerning it, but what is it that God wants us to want? That's going to lead us to what it is that God wants us to start. And so maybe for you, you're just saying, you know, Jeff, if I'm, you know, if I'm really going to just sort of open myself up to what God wants to do in my life, I have to admit that I don't have what I would call an intimate prayer life. See, uh, we can love God, we can love Jesus, we can love his word, and, and we can have prayers, but sometimes our prayers may be sort of solidified in, well, you know, I pray in the morning, and I pray for my kids before they go off to school, or pray with my spouse, or I pray over my meal, or whisper a prayer, but there's just something, track with me on this now, there's just something about having an intimate prayer time. That's, that's entirely different until you experience it, it's just hard to even explain. Uh, I'm a podcast uh, junkie, and so uh, I listen to a lot of different podcasts. This week, uh, in the last seven or eight days, I was listening to uh, another podcast by Kerry Newhoff, and uh, in that particular podcast, he was interviewing, some of you are going to be familiar with this name, Ann Graham Lotz. How many of you know that name? That's the daughter, right, of Billy and Ruth Graham. 
And so she was talking, and I mean, I, just, I was just hanging on this podcast. Normally, I'm doing about four other things, but I'm, I was gripped by it. And one of the things that was arresting to me was when she would talk about how, how, she, how she has her prayer time. And she just said, you know what, I, I do carry, and I can almost hear her voice, sort of that southern a bell twang that she, she said, what I do carry is, is I read the scriptures, and I love God's word, and I'm into God's word, and I read a passage, and I ask the Holy Spirit to show me how he wants me to interact with that passage, and then I start talking with Jesus about that passage, and how I can apply it to my life, and man, it was just like seamless where she's reading the word, and the word leads her right into her prayer life, an intimate prayer life. And you could just listen to that great woman of God and say, here's a lady that knows how to connect with God. And that may be something that you want to do. Or you may say, well, you know, a lot of us have used the, the life journal and, you know, soap, if you're familiar with that acrostic. I've, I've done that many times, been through many of those journals, uh, scripture, uh, observation, application, and then the prayer. And that may be one of the ways that it just helps you to intensify your prayer life. Or for me, uh, and I mentioned this Wednesday night, uh, a lot of times I use acts, that acrostic, you know, adoration. So many times we bring our Christmas list, our shopping list to Jesus first, but we take and we adore him and, and acts, you know, we adore God. And then that see is confession. We confess and then we thank God specifically for what he's up to in our life. And then supplication. Then we're ready to lay out our request. Let him be known to God. And so what I'm trying to say to you is there's no one particular way to pray. You can pray the Lord's Prayer, Luke chapter 11 or Matthew 6. You can pray. There's all kinds of different ways. Don't allow somebody to tell you there's one way and one way only to pray. But how many of you would agree that this would be the great, a great time to, to develop an intimate prayer life? And, and that may be what God wants you to start. It's not that you don't love Jesus, love his word. It's just the intimacy of your prayer. It just lacks something. You're like, that's what God wants me to want. Therefore, that's what I'm going to start. Now, for some of you, I told you I'm going to get really practical. For some of you, it may be that what God wants you to do is to start leveraging the spiritual gifts he's given you to serve in ministry. I can remember the very first ministry that I was ever involved in the local church. And uh, I, I barely 18 years of age. I grew up in a great church, a large church in Atlanta, Georgia. And one Sunday after church, my pastor sees me out in the hallway. I knew him, loved my pastor, and just a great man of God. And he walks over to me, and he looks at me. And we don't have a lot of conversation because there's not any time for that. And he just looks at me, and he says, I want you to lead our Bible quiz team. And my reaction must have looked like he had just slapped me across the face. Because I'm telling you, I was the least likely person to lead a Bible quiz team. I love Jesus. I loved his word. But I just barely separated Job from Job and Palms from Psalms. And when he told me that, I mean, I'm like, I am so underqualified for that. I felt so underqualified for that. I said, I'll get back to you. I got home, opened up the Bible, looking for second hesitations so I could find a verse to support why I was not qualified to do what he was asking me to do. And so maybe that's what God wants you to start. And you're saying, well, you know, Jeff, that only made sense because here you're 18 and uh, he knew you were going to become a pastor and, and that's why he asked you. No, I had no idea I was going to be a pastor. I thought I was going into business. And it was humiliating at times. So I'd go into that room with kids that were not too much younger than I and they'd correct me on my understanding of the Bible. But you know what? I didn't say, well, I'm so underqualified. I guess I'm not going to get involved in ministry. Here's another area. For some of you, it may be a financial plan. 
You want to be generous and you feel like, you know what, I could be a lot more generous and I could be a consistent giver if I could just get out of the stranglehold of this debt. And so maybe what God wants you to do this year is start digging your way out. And maybe as, as early as this afternoon, you'll get along if you're, with, uh, if you're married and get with your spouse and say, you know what, we have talked about this and we need to just start a budget and we're going to do it before the sun goes down. We make too much money to have nothing to show for us. And most Americans feel that way and we're going to stop living this way and we're going to cut up our credit cards and we're not going into debt. We're going to build us an emergency fund because there's always going to be an emergency and we're not going to resort to cards because we're going to, and we're going to get involved in the Financial Peace University, which when you look at the Victory Life brochure, it's mentioned on there. I'm going to, you're saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going. And then here's another, here's another statement where you start saying, are you ready for this? I'm going to start tithing my way into financial stability. See, because a lot of people say, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tackle this debt. I'm going to build savings. And then once I'm out of debt, then here's what I'll do. I'll start tithing then. No, 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 no. You don't do it that way. What you say is you say, God, I need you to be personally involved in the economy of my finances. And you said that if I'm faithful with a tithe, you're going to open the windows of heaven and you're going to bless me. And I'm going to tithe my way out of debt into financial stability because it always works better when God joins with us in our finances than when we try to do it by ourselves. And we just say, we're going to do that. Some of you are saying, I hear the church talking about fast and church is always talking about fasting. And you know, I'm just not so sure about that because maybe you're like me. Your primary spiritual gift is eating. Maybe you're a lot like me in that regard. And you're just saying, you know, I'm with the church on a lot of things, but this whole fasting thing, you know, I mentioned, you know, my home church, I'm, uh, I became a Christian when I was 15. 16, a pastor who I mentioned I dearly love, he stood up and he's looking at that church family, man, and he's just challenging us. We're going into a time of prayer and fasting and I'm 16 years of age and I'm a new Christian and this is not res- resonating with me because if you, how many of you, you remember what it was like to be 16 or you have a 16-year-old child or grandchild? How many of you know that when you are 16, you are perpetually hungry all the time? And I was hungry all the time. And that was a time in my life, honestly, uh, I, I played sports my whole life. I played up in high school. And I remember this day, and I wish I could go back to this day in this regard. I can remember a time in my life when I would just eat all of the time because I was trying to put on weight. Here I was, six foot two, 135 pounds, trying to put on some weight. Okay, maybe the weight's right. Maybe the height, I'm off a little bit. But I was just trying to gain weight. And how many of you, you remember a time like that in your life? Well, that's, that's not true in my life anymore. How many of you are like me? You can just look at a TV commercial that has food and it just jumps on your body. And so when he said fasting, I'm like, oh no, oh pastor, I'm with you on a lot of things, but this whole fasting, I'm 16, I'm always hungry. But then I became convicted about it. And I'm like, Jeff, you know, you need to fast. And I'm like, God, please. And, and I just felt challenged. And I said, well, I'm gonna start it. I'm gonna start it. This is a spiritual discipline that I need. And I don't want to tell you uh, that it was easy. It was hard. And you'll hear in just a moment, uh, I did good for a lot of it. But man, I struggle. I miss breakfast and, and I'm, I'm so hungry. 
Lunch comes, everybody's eating lunch, but me and I'm like, Jesus, help me. Like right now, I'm just like, I'm just getting hungry. I mean, I, I, I go to, from school to work and I work at the hospital to 11 and, and I'm like, I have never been more hungry. I, I start around nine o'clock that evening. Jesus, please, I just want to get off and go home and go to bed because if I could go to sleep, maybe that would help me to forget how hungry I am. So I got off at 11. Now, you know I grew up in the South. I've mentioned that already. So I walked into the house. I'm so hungry. I'm like, i got to get ready for bed, and I just want to get to bed, get to sleep. And, and then there was a voice. And I'm not saying it's God's voice. She said, go over to that oven. You know your mom always makes a great dinner. And I walked over to that oven, and I opened it just like that. And I looked in that oven, and there was a plate of cube steak piled high, potatoes and onions. And I said, glory to God in the highest. My prayers have been answered here. And then it hit me. No, you can't do that. You're fasting. Jeff, you're fast. You got to fast all day. Now, I'm not proud of what I'm going to tell you next. <laughs> but I said, Jesus, 1201, it's a new day. I heated that oven. I devoured that plate. At 12, 12.05, there were just crumbs. So you may say, well, you know, I'm not, I can't do that fasting thing. Join us in fasting. Just say, well, I'm, I'm going to fast. And maybe for you, what God wants you to want this year, what God wants you to start is, is just taking better, better care of your body, just better health. I'm going to meddle just for a moment if that's all right. See, a lot of times we come into a new year and we say, well, here's what I'm going to do. It's a new year. I'm going to set a new year's resolution and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get in better shape. I would encourage you to maybe approach it differently this year and say, you know what? I am not doing this as a new year's resolution. I am going to do this as a spiritual habit or practice because my body, if I believe the scriptures are, in fact, the scripture says is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is that not true? And we house you know, and so maybe I just talked about this great cube steak and potatoes, and I wish I could eat like that seven days a week. But maybe what God's going to encourage you, maybe you said, Jeff, prayer, and you know, my love for the word and, and all of that, but I just need to keep, take better care. And so here's what I'm going to do. What God would have me to do is I'm going to start eating good, healthy. I'm going to eat clean. I, I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to go to the gym. Now, let me let you in on a little, a little secret here. How many of you know it's more than just having a gym membership and that little little tag on your keychain. You actually have to go. You have to go. But you're saying, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I want to I wanna have full energy and I want to have full focus. And so maybe that's what God's asking you to do, to just start, to just start. I want you to look at this ancient proverb. It's not the Proverbs from the Bible, but it's an ancient proverb. And it says this, if we do not change direction, we're likely to end up where we're headed. That's true, isn't it? Now, what does God want you to want? And based on that, then what does God want you to start? And I would encourage you, and I mentioned I'd come back to this. Don't say, well, all right, I've just got a plethora of things that I need to start. So I'm going to reach out and I'm going to grab nine things, seven things, five things, three things. I would encourage you out of personal experience to just be narrowly focused because it would be better to accomplish something than reach for all and achieve nothing. So I have two questions for you as we get ready to wrap this up. What are you going to do? And when are you going to start? 
What does God want you to do? Because all of us, unless you've arrived, unless you're Jesus Jr., unless you're a super saint, you probably have some things that you could start that's going to help you to get from here to there. Because today's decisions will shape tomorrow's direction. So what does God want you to do? And then, based on that, when are you going to start? Yeah, some of you may say, well, okay, I know what God wants me to do, and I think I know when I'm going to get started. Well, today is not January 1st, it's January 3rd, and on the basis of this, I've missed the first, so I'll just wait till the first of 2021, so I have approximately 362 days to get started with this. Now, what does God want us to do? And when are we going to get started? So what does God want you to do? I love this story. It's the last scripture I'll share with you. It's time in Israel's history, and God sends a prophet to this king, King Ahab, and he says, you know, here's what's going to happen. The prophet says, there's this opposing army, this invading army, and I want you to prepare yourself because here's what's going to happen. God's going to deliver that army into your hand. And it's not like Ahab deserved or anything, but it's just a promise that God was going to send to him. I love this story, and I want you to check it out before we're done. It says, meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced, this is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? He's like, of course I do. I will give it into your hand today, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I love this response of Ahab, but who will do this? The prophet replied, this is what the Lord says. Look at this. This is the junior officers under the provincial commanders will do it. And then Ahab asked this question, and who will start the battle? The prophet answered, what does the prophet say? You will. See, sometimes in our life, it would be easy to relegate the responsibility out of something that we ought to be doing. We freelance it out to somebody else. But this is what I believe that God is wanting to say to you and to me, those of us that are in the sanctuary, those that are walking, watching online. If you and I are going to get from here to there, there's some things that we're going to need to start doing. What is it that God wants you to start doing? Maybe it's that intimate prayer life. Maybe it's reading the Bible and you're getting in and all kind of Bible plans that we mentioned. Uh, Uversion, Bible.com, the, the example that we have out at the reception area. Maybe you're going to get involved in a small group. Maybe you've got family members or friends or neighbors or coworkers that are far from God. And you're like, you know what? I've got a burn from them and somebody needs to communicate the gospel to them. And I'm going to, I'm going to start learning how to get comfortable with that so I can share my faith. Maybe it's for you tithing or fasting or giving to missions because you believe that God wants the whole world to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Maybe it's serving in a ministry. Maybe it's a financial plan, a health plan. Maybe it's being consistent in worship. We're not, we're, we're not just here sporadically, but we're faithful because today's decisions will shape tomorrow's direction. It's a great, great statement. And maybe you'll want to get this one down. And then we're going to, in fact, you can go ahead and stand with me. Go ahead. But I want you to see this. This is, I grabbed it up in preparation for this talk. It's so good. Rick Warren wrote this. He said, God's goal in all the changes we make is that we become more and more like Jesus. How many of you would agree with that? God's number one purpose in our life is to make us like Jesus Christ. And then I love what he says next. He said, the spirit of God uses the word of God to make the child of God like the son of God. Isn't that good? The spirit of God uses the word of God to make the child of God like the son of God. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? 
We're serious. Together as a church family, we're believing God for amazing things. Amazing things for your life individually. Amazing things for your family. Amazing things for our church. But you know what, friends? We're doing this together. We're doing this together. We're starting. What is it that God wants you to start wanting? And on the basis of that, what are you going to nail down? And you're going to say, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start. I believe that you're going to empower me. I believe that you're going to help me. And then I'm going to get started like now. Like right now. Because I know that the decisions I'm making today are going to determine the direction of my life in the future. And God, I just want to be sure that I'm on the right path. And if that's you today, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you just lift your hand. You'd be like, man, all in, all in, all in, all in. I'm, going to, I'm starting something God's already speaking to me. If you don't have clarity on that yet, I would encourage you, nail that down before the sun goes down. And just say, God, I know that you want me to get started something that's going to help me to be what you want me to be. It's not just what I'm doing. It's what I'm becoming. It's what I'm becoming. Maybe you're here today and you're not in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're a good person, a really, really good person. Maybe, maybe you have a knowledge of Jesus and you know the scripture. Maybe you pray. Maybe you pray over your meals. But you know that you've never personally accepted Jesus Christ as the Savior and the leader of your life. You've never had a born-again experience. Jesus said to Nicodemus, and you're familiar with the story, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So maybe the step that you need to start with is the step where it all begins. And you say, Jesus, here I am, and I admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe, Jesus, that you are who you claim to be. You're the son of the living God. And I want to confess you now as the Savior and the leader of my life. So Jesus, come into my life. So if you're here in the sanctuary and that's your prayer, or you want to pray that online, you just pray it right now in your heart. Jesus, come into my life. I want to be born again. I want to have a personal experience with you. I don't want to just linger around spiritual matters. I want to know you personally. I've never been born again. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you're the son of God. And I invite you to come into my life even now. I receive you as a savior and the leader of my life, the forgiver of my sin and my friend. And I pray that you'd lead me for the rest of my life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we give Jesus a big hand clap of praise? Can we do it? Whatever you do, don't miss next week. Where, what do I need to stop? If you're new, stop by the hospitality suite. We'd love to meet you personally. I love you, everybody. God bless you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you Wednesday night.